1: Welcome everyone to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today we're talking about the importance of data in all elements of business. We've all heard the discussions around big data or data analytics, but often this is followed by confusion on how to capture, analyze, and apply it to the business. To help us, we have with us Matt Cowell, CEO of QuantHub. Matt, thank you so much for taking time and welcome to the show.
0: Yeah, thanks, Chad. I appreciate you having me.
1: So we always like to ask kind of an off the wall question, just our audience to get to know you a little bit better. Sure. Uh, and we like to start with, um, you know, something if if you think about the different personas that we have in life. Uh, I'm curious, something you're passionate about that those that may only know you from a work perspective might be surprised to learn about you. <laughs>
0: Um I love well I'm a pretty open book so even the people that I work with usually know this about me but um I love cheesy 80s rock music and um oh. and so if video was on here you'd see my guitars in the background so um I can't help it I don't even care it's all right I love it <laughs> so, so all
1: right so now you're you're talking you're, you're hitting my sweet spot too so let's talk so which what what's
0: your favorite 80s rock Well I mean I like Poison, Bon Jovi, Def Leppard. I certainly love Guns N' Roses. Um, I have an an odd ability maybe to sound like Axl Rose. So I love doing karaoke of like (laughs) Welcome to the Jungle or Sweet Child of Mine. So ridiculous stuff, you know. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Hey, man, I grew up on that too. Um and, and I'm not afraid to admit that I've actually been to some of those concerts oh, yeah. uh way past the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: they're all coming back around and making a lot of money on reunion tours. Oh right?
1: yeah, the Def Leppard Molly crew thing they got canceled Oh yeah.
0: Of, I, that that's that's got <laughs> sure. to happen. It's just going to have to happen.
1: Awesome. All right. So, thank you for sharing that. Um let's kind of get into the topic of the day. And so... When we think about, you know, big data and just AI around data, what do we mean by it being a critical skill set for the future of work? And, and what does that translate to in different roles? Some of the prep material you sent over referred to it as that critical skill in the future of work. And I'd love just to be able to provide the audience with
0: some context on that perspective. Well, you know, so often people talk about AI and, you know, it's become sort of buzzword bingo to hear all of the talk about AI and all the potential and, and the transformation formative nature of that technology. And you can see it all around you. You know, I'm, I don't want to say Alexa too loud here, but because <laughs> she'll respond. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that type of thing is is changing the way we live, the way we work. and And so those skills, you know, those highly technical skills where people are data scientists, data engineers, and they're dealing with all that data and they're doing the machine learning and that type of thing. Obviously, that's one set of skills, but that's not really... I mean, that's important, no question. But the reality is without all of us becoming more data literate, and and I can explain what that means, but bec- becoming more data literate, then a lot of the potential that exists in in leveraging AI is, is just that it will stay as potential. And I'll, so I'll give you an example. Of just kind of data literacy. So take a person that's in a in a sales role and they're maybe an entry-level salesperson. They take a lot of notes on conversations, they enter those notes into the CRM. Thus it becomes data. And so if they're if they're not taking good notes or they're putting in default values for fields, then there's not much a person can do downstream of that to actually, you know, do a meaningful analysis on some of that data because the data's not there. And so that's an example where you need more data literate people and they need to realize their role in this sort of data quality lifecycle. And so that's where we all need those types of skills. We all need to recognize that data is critical and is a critical element of successful companies in this day and age. And it's only going to continue to move more in that direction.
1: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I think it actually gives us an opportunity because anybody in sales knows, and having been a sales leader myself, you're always trying to get people to understand why they need to put data in the CRM. Right. Then when you get downstream, you've hired somebody new, they're like, Hey, the data I have is crap. I can't use this. (laughs) Like, well, you know, it's kind of a cycle. You kind of need to be able to do this. Yeah. and I've heard some people say, you know, they'll, they'll just kind of sit back and say, ah, I just want to let the AI do the processing and I'll look at the results and okay, fine. But there's a need to understand, I think the source of that data, the cleanliness of the data, is there a different perspective here we might be able to give people that you need to be, you know, incent them to be a little bit more literate and a little bit more involved and at least understand how that AI may be processing or
0: presenting those results. Well, I, th- I think so. I mean, part of it is people people think that AI is like a silver bullet or and is some sort of magic, but it, you know, you can actually just become a little bit more data driven and start getting value without ever having to give give any of the work to a data scientist or a data engineer. So when we talk about being more data driven, you know, if you're in sales and you're trying to figure out where your best prospects come from and 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 started to fit, and you start analyzing where people are falling out of the funnel and you start looking at that those are questions that you're asking right and the and a more data driven approach would be to then answer those questions with data and so look more deeply at where people are falling out of the of the funnel and 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 look at the reasons why they're falling out and start doing some data analysis on that you'll start uncovering insights by just by virtue of answering those questions with data and you'll start uncovering insights and now all of a sudden you can make decisions based on those insights that improve you know could be improving conversion rates you know starting next month and and so that's an example that it's not about data science, right? It's about just being a little bit more data driven and being a more data driven enterprise. And that, I mean, those are that's a sales example. That example, that type of example, crosses the entire the entire enterprise. Whether it's in HR where you're recruiting, or or you're in operations and you're trying to improve a process, or you're in marketing and you're you're, you're looking at the lead gen conversions or where your leads are coming from. I mean, there are just so many different aspects of of that and it doesn't take data science or the magical mythical ai to (laughs) um to solve all your problems you know it's right there in front of you if you just ask some good questions and then answer those questions with data
1: well and i think it's i think it's a really important point when we talk about these roles that they don't think of themselves as data scientists, there needs to be a data awareness, a data mindset because Absolutely. there is so much of it out there and there are so many ways that it can be leveraged and utilized. It's almost like, I remember, most, I'll stick with sales for example, but it, uh, you almost have to have an understanding of how businesses operate, especially if you're selling B2B. You have to understand kind of the basics in in how businesses operate, how things get done inside of a business. That's one skill set that we've seen teams struggle with, but now there's this other layer of this awareness that you're adding data and benefiting from the data. So making that part of the mindset, I think becomes a challenge for a lot of the organizations. And when you look at these orgs that are out there, how have you seen organizations effectively approach upskilling, you know, around this at scale, say whether the team's a hundred people, a thousand people or Tens of thousands of people, how are organizations effectively kind of building this into their cultural approach onboarding or whatever to ensure
0: that that data mindset becomes front and center if i 'm honest with you, i don't think they're doing it very effectively <laughs> 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 um, and so i I think the reason that that it's to a large degree so far been um, ineffective is is that a lot of people when they think about you know, a learning initiative and, and a need to upskill a lot of people, then they just go back to our sort of default learning approach that we've we've done all our lives. You, me, we've all done this, and that we went to school. Uh, we it was long form learning. So in in school, obviously, it was in certainly really long form learning. So it was courses a semester at a time. You would learn, 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 take a test, and then you would forget it and and we all have experienced this i'm sure i can't see you but i'm sure you're nodding your head because this oh, yeah. is the way we've all gone through this and then unfortunately you know data literacy is a problem across an entire enterprise yet people keep doing the same thing we we will then buy licenses to i don't know coursera or something like that and send out a data literacy training that's long form it's probably several hours um people don't have a lot of context as to why it matters they go through a training and they take probably take some sort of quiz at the end and then they don't revisit it and they forget it yeah. and it's just fundamentally the way our brains work so this is not a coursera problem it's just the way our brains work is that right after we learn something we forget it and and so there's there's a very steep forgetting curve right after you learn something and if you don't revisit it you it, it's it's gone and so um that's why things like spaced re, you may have heard of spaced repetition where you you see something soon after you learn it and so there are techniques to avoid that but unfortunately to the question when you've got a you know 10,000 person company and you have 5,000 of them need to upskill in in this the default approach of sending out 5,000 licenses to a platform and saying, hey, go search on data skills and go take a couple of courses. <laughs> yeah, and never that's just happen. not even remotely close to being <laughs> something that would work.
1: Right. Yeah. You leave it to them. Hey, go do this or do something else. And chances are
0: they're never, they're never yeah. going in there. I heard somebody well, It becomes say me, almost like information security training. Like how much pay, how much attention do you pay to that, Chad? Oh yeah. Not <laughs> right. a you're lot. checking the box. It's, <laughs> it's, you're checking the box and that's not effective. And so this is too important for that. I mean, frankly, information security training is probably too important for that as well. But so, you know, we actually think about this in much more of a micro learning kind of continuous learning type approach, something that is consumable by each and each and every one of us. And so if you think about like the Duolingos of the world, that's how people are learning languages. They're learning it 10 to 15 minutes a time. They're learning a little bit every day. And that's actually there's learning science to back up that that is the way to learn effectively and to remember even more importantly. And so that's kind of how we think about it. And I think
1: it's a great approach and it's one, is it one of those things where you think that is something we've learned from AI or are there other things that people should take away from kind of the AI approaches to data and learning to enhance our own learning experiences? Is it that bite-sized kind of approach and that continual evolution?
0: It's funny, actually. We um, are, one of our co-founders is our CTO and he and I do a presentation we call it human machine learning. And, <laughs> and we actually show people that there are a lot of corollaries between the way machine learning works and the algorithms and the way we as humans actually learn the most effectively what 's funny is people think it came in that order like machine learning was around, and then all of a sudden we learned how to <laughs> how to learn more effectively as humans well that 's not true, of course um, in the 1940s there actually was a lot of research around cognitive psychology and and you know how humans learn more effectively. And then you start getting research in machine learning that actually happened in the 50s, and which was kind of based on neural networks is based on trying to approximate how humans learn and doing that with machines. And so um, it really came in that order. But for some reason, culturally, we've always still taken the learn everything at one time, long form learning, take a test at the end and then forget everything. We've kind of always had that in our culture so we've never really embraced the truly best way that we learn
1: Uh, i love it and so there was a phrase in some of the prep material too that i wanted to to dig into and it's uh it was the concept of the rise of the citizen data scientist help Mm -hmm. me help
0: me unpack that and understand what we're talking about there well i think it actually really does go back to what we were talking about earlier where and and you know that's that's a that is a movement where people call it a citizen data scientist I think that continues to be a misnomer and make people think that this is a highly technical role. What that really means is that we're all responsible for data analysis. We're all responsible for doing some amount of analysis and analytics on data, even if we're not professional analytics um, employees. And so the, the data citizen or the citizen data scientist, the way I look at that is that's all of us and we're all responsible for varying aspects of you know you you talked about earlier of, of we actually all create data now we don't realize it but we all create data We all do some amount of analysis. It doesn't matter what role we're in. We're making some decisions and we can do some analysis to support those decisions. And that's where that sort of movement to where you don't just throw everything over the wall to your analytics team. You start realizing that each and every one of us have a role in that.
1: Well, it, I mean, it is. And it's interesting. Anybody who paid attention to the Cambridge Analytica stuff or uh, saw any of the shows where they talk about just how much data is being collected, analyzed, oh, yeah. and repurposed. I mean, I, I, I think back to the, the social dilemma on Netflix scared the crap out of me uh, <laughs> because you, know, you have no idea just how much data just by carrying around you know, our lovely little phones and how much data it's putting off if you
0: don't have it oh, locked yeah. down the right way. We're contributing to it whether we want to or not. Yeah, I mean, it's not. You can't even get away from it anymore. I mean, it's it's just all around you. Like right now, back to the Alexa thing, I it's hearing me. <laughs> My voice right now is data.
1: <laughs> oh, that's a great way to think of it. It it is one hundred percent data. And people have gotten. <clears throat> I think there's a lot of conversation around, but people have gotten a lot more comfortable with parts of it than they were. Because I can remember. Not that I want to date myself, but I can remember going back when we were designing uh, apps on the phones for enterprises and we were like, no, 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 you want to turn on location services. They're like, I'm not sharing my location. I don't want (laughs) that phone to know. And then fast forward and now they're like, they're irritated if the phone doesn't know where they are and isn't sourcing restaurants that are within a hundred foot radius kind of thing. You know, we instantly want to give up the privacy for convenience until, you know, somebody shines
0: a light on it. But it is part of that. We're all part of the data pool these days. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, and it, that's not going anywhere but but up. I mean, the, the rise of all of the devices that the nests of the world, all of the devices that are turning on your, you know, everything in your house from your voice. And, you know, really, that's just the beginning of that. What they really want to be doing is actually automatically turning those devices on and off in response to, you know, your schedule, movement, all these things. I mean, that's really... The voice, I mean, even Amazon actually just said this recently that the voice is just a stopgap. That's not really the end game. The end game is that it's actually responsive to your habits and to your movements and these types of things. So you don't even have to tell it what to do. Yeah. And that's a little... Orwellian, for, for, yeah, right. I mean, that's spooky, me. right?
1: <laughs> it is. It is spooky. But I also can see the flip side of it, where you know, okay, if you got nothing to hide and no big deal, then what's you know, hey, the house is smart enough that it knows you're gonna be home about this time. It can heat it up. It knows you're gonna typically you know turn on the oven to cook something, so it can start to warm up the oven. I mean, there's there's some definite benefits from a convenience standpoint. Yeah, uh, the people I think just are gonna have to get comfortable understanding that in order for that stuff to work really well, they have to share a lot of the data and and the insights into what their
0: habits are that's exactly right yep and All i mean right. we've already come a long way like you said you know, privacy the oh, definition yeah. of privacy or our comfort level with certain different aspects of privacy has changed dramatically over i mean even maybe the last 5 years
1: oh yeah and well and even to the point we go back to the devices in the house like i start thinking about it it's like okay i got nest in here i got TVs that i'm fairly certain are listening to me if yeah. they're not if they're not watching me uh, i don't have <laughs> I'm looking around. I think Alexa's in the other room. Alexa's in the other room. But I mean, there's all of these things where it's just this constant stream of data. You know, people used to think about, you know, EMF waves and all of the waves going through the air. Just think about all the data that's being transmitted. I mean, it's oh, yeah. insane yeah. how much is out there and, and what could be done with it if analyzed appropriately.
0: Yeah. And that I mean, and that's really that's really the key, is that You know, there's so much, it goes back to the first thing we talked about, which is the potential for AI to be transformative in business and life in general. I mean, it's already, that's already happening and with data, with the proliferation of data and devices that measure things that we weren't measuring before, you know, that the amount of data out there just continues to increase exponentially and with it, then you know, the potential for, um, new ways to, to use it and harness it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So let's pivot
1: here a little bit and talk about quant hub, um, help our audience understand kind of what you all do there and what was your journey to arrive there?
0: Yeah, it, we're an early stage company. We've been around for almost four years now, and we're a data skill platform. So data is very, uh, very important to us near and dear to our hearts. And uh, so we have an assessment platform that measures data skills of like data scientists, data engineers, and we've got enterprise customers all over the world using us in their hiring process. So if they're you know trying to hire a data scientist, you usually get a lot of candidates and don't really have a strong ability to tell them apart on skill. And so that's what our assessments do. We also have an upskilling platform and that's more kind of broad data literacy, like we were talking about earlier, and it's a micro learning platform. So it's a little bit every day um, kind of fits into the white space of your day. It's something that the scalability aspect that we were talking about earlier is really, really an important aspect of being able to change the culture uh, is because it's a is sort of an every employee type of problem, <laughs> and um, and so you know our big focus is coming up with something that that people can adopt that and that you can roll out across you know a majority of the enterprise, which is this off the shelf solutions that are out there. You just can't; they just don't scale to fifty percent of the employees in a company or or more. Yeah. And so, okay,
1: when you think about kind of what you're doing at QuantHub and what's on the horizon, like what's on the future and coming around the corner, whether it be in terms of AI and machine learning or even just ways that you plan on internalizing it uh, at QuantHub, what are you the most excited about if you're looking? I mean, nobody likes to look 12 months out anymore because nobody saw the pandemic coming. But if we're looking like six, (laughs) 12 months out,
0: what do you see on the horizon that you're the most excited about? Well, I mean, honestly, I get fired up about being I, I mean, I think the position that we're sitting in is is. And you know, naturally, startups have have lofty ambitions. I we are going to be the company. I. I- I believe this in my heart, that we're going to be the company that everybody points to after this big skill transformation over the next five, 10 years. We're going to be the company that they point to and say Quanhub was the biggest enabler of that. And so that's that's where I believe we fit because I, I think we have the only scalable and effective approach to do that. So that's where I, that's our vision as a company. I mean, that's literally written in, in our vision as a company uh, over the next six to 12 months you know, I'm excited to see more and more enterprises come on and, and um, and you know, use our platform to transform. From a technology perspective, I'll say some really cool things since we were talking about just unbelievably cool technological things is there's now AI out there that... So we our content is we write assessment questions and then we curate learning materials. And so what's unbelievable is there's AI out there now that actually there are algorithms and and models that can literally from scratch read articles, pick out the keywords of those articles, and then find definitions of those keywords and write assessment questions covering the concepts covered in that article and it could do all that from scratch whoa yeah i mean it's it's <laughs> I, I i it sounds like science fiction and I really thought it was <laughs> until <laughs> until our c t o showed it to me, and i it's just it's just mind-blowing stuff. I, the same types of models, literally, you can actually give it a problem and say, write code to solve this problem. And you see on the screen, it starts writing code. I mean, it's just, if you love that, you're probably, we're probably similar age, so you probably love Terminator 2. It starts feeling oh, yeah. a little Terminator 2-like.
1: I love it I love it all right so let's change direction here a little bit we ask all of our guests two standard questions towards the end of each interview the first is simply as an executive that makes you a prospect or a target for a lot of people that are out there and I'm always curious to understand when somebody doesn't have a trusted referral into you what works best for you when somebody's trying to capture your attention and earn the right to time on your calendar
0: Hmm, that is a good question I'm not very responsive to outreach. <laughs> um, I will say this. I, I, I'm much more responsive to seeing people that are part of a conversation. So whether that's on LinkedIn, than I am to just cold outreach. I'm almost unresponsive to cold outreach, unless it's just unbelievable luck on the, on the timing of the salesperson and that I'm thinking about something and we have a problem. And then they, they reach out at exactly that moment, which is, you know, generally speaking, unlikely. And so, but what I'm definitely more responsive to is seeing people on LinkedIn as part of a conversation about problems they have and then potential solutions. And so that's not necessarily being a referral into me. Obviously I I pay attention to those, but, um, you know, seeing people that are part of a conversation and they have solutions to problems, I'm, you know, I would be more responsive to that if, if I saw something there. Love it. All
1: right. So last question, we call it our acceleration insight. If there was one thing you could tell sales marketing or professional services people, one piece of advice that you would give them that if they listened to, you would believe
0: would help them hit their targets or exceed them. What would it be and why? Hmm. Well, I'm, I'm from the, uh, I'm from the Midwest and, and our chief revenue officer says I, I like to go all Midwestern mad on, on people. <laughs> and, and so honestly, I, I'm not going to, you know, you probably have lots of people on here that are give giving like sales techniques. What I like to do is I like to work with relatable people that don't have a giant ego. And ah. so, you know, I, I think try to be relatable, try to listen first. You know, one of our core values is is around listening through, you know, seeing the world through the lens of your customer or your prospect or your potential investor or your team member. And so seeing seeing the world through their eyes and and then making sure when you're when you're speaking to them, say things in the way that not the way you want to say them, but the way you want it to be received and focus more on that. I mean, that ends up putting yourself in a seat where you're thinking through you're thinking through their You're seeing the world through their eyes. And then that I think that helps you then present things in a way that they receive it. The way you want them to receive it, which in sales, you know, you have a goal, right? Right. Uh, you want them to receive things in a certain way. And it doesn't matter the way you want to say it. It matters the way they're going to receive it. And oftentimes people don't think about it that way. They're, they're self-consumed with what they want to say as opposed to the outcome they want to achieve by saying it.
1: I I think that is amazingly insightful advice and and I hope a lot more people out there will, will listen to it. Matt, if a listener's interested in talking more about the topics we've touched on today, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Where do you want us to send people?
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm at Matt at quanthub.com. I love connecting with people. I'm passionate about this topic. So if, if anybody wants to talk more about data skills or, or sales and marketing, I'm happy to happy to talk. We're, you know, I found networking and connecting with people is one of the best ways to grow. And so I'm always open, always open to that. So that's one way, of course, quanthub.com is, um, is a way to learn more about us. Um, but yeah, I'm always happy to talk to people individually.
1: All right. I can't thank you enough for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure, my friend.
0: Yeah, Chad, I appreciate you having me.
1: All right, everybody, that does it for this episode. You know the drill, b2brevexec.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. And until next time, we at Value Selling Associates wish you all nothing but the greatest success.
0: You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.